go. Hello, everybody, and welcome. This is the Apostate Prophet. I hope you're having a fantastic day. How is everybody doing? I hope you can uh, hear me well and see me well. I hope you can hear David well and see David well. You don't need to hear David. Uh, you can see him. That's enough. Uh, how is everybody doing? David, how are you doing? How are you doing? Does everyone hear me? Check, 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 one. Check, 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 check. Okay. I guess everybody can hear you. Let me see. Uh, they will probably tell us in the comments yeah so um last week did we go live did we go live last week we did yeah that was last week we did yeah, a live stream wow i can't believe it so uh <laughs> so last week we uh were talking about uh doing this um on a weekly basis uh, as we have talked uh, as, as we have promised before but uh this time we actually uh we did actually stay loyal to that plan. We decided to go live today with a topic. Uh, we will exchange, um, um, Dave, David will present his uh, points about the topic at hand, which is our biggest objections to Islam. I will present mine. We will discuss these. We will talk about these. And uh, we want to keep it at one hour. I know I said that last time and we went over two hours, but forget about that. Uh, this time we want to keep it at an hour because we want to do this on a weekly basis and we always want to do it for an hour. We want to talk about a certain topic and then also take uh, questions, uh, read the chats, read the super chats, go through those. And uh, we want to make this a regular thing. So David will be here uh, next week as well if he doesn't make some excuses. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so what do you think, David? Was that right? Uh yeah, uh, the, the, we might have to tweak the timing some because uh, my son has wrestling sometimes on Sunday evenings and sometimes on, I mean, on Friday evenings. And so sometimes I'm the one uh, who takes him over there. Uh, but even even in that situation, we just have to push it back a little bit uh, time-wise. But yeah, um, now I will be massively impressed with us if we actually keep this to an hour because probably 98% of the time I say I'm going to keep a live stream to an hour, it ends up being like two or three hours. So, Oh, we will. We will. We will. Uh, I will make sure not to let you talk too long. So um, if we can control the amount of time that you spend talking about something, then I think we're good. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so today we want to talk about... Um, by the way, our, our our whole debate thing is still going on. I'm still waiting for your response. Oh uh, yeah, that that's my. We were we're right before the show. We were talking about uh how like when we're in the zone, we're like posting videos every day, and like we're not in the zone right now, and how we just keep putting stuff off every every day. I mean, like we could have been through with most of the debate right now, like because I because yeah. I could have watched your your uh, your opening statement and then like had my rebuttal up like two days later. But like every day I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna crush that in the morning. <laughs> I'm gonna crush that tomorrow morning. And then I wake up in the morning and then, uh, yeah, and then, yeah. yeah. But uh, I have to say, I have absolutely nothing scheduled for tomorrow. So tomorrow would be a perfect, perfect day. Like like even today I had to, had to go to uh, take, take Paley to a doctor's appointment and stuff like that. But tomorrow, totally free, so perfect day. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. I was I had I had a topic ready for today. I wanted to record a video and publish it today, but I didn't get to it, so I will do that tomorrow. But yeah. Um, okay, let's get to our topic. Our topic is our biggest objections to Islam. So what we did is uh before 
this live stream, I uh, contacted David and said, hey, uh, can you pre prepare your top three problems with Islam? And he said, yeah, I can do that. And I said, good, um, and I will prepare mine, and then we can uh, talk about these together. I have no idea. Uh, I genuinely have no idea what David prepared. So uh, if we yeah. have the same things, that's so just... We, we don't know, yeah, we don't know each other's points. So in theory, yeah. in theory, we might have three of the same points or one of the same points or yeah. no way of yeah. knowing until we mine are a bit broad so i don't know but yeah uh we, we, we can start immediately why don't we start with yours david what do you think what are, what are your main problems with with islam why do you do this yeah and a, a lot of times we point out problems with islam that kind of get the most attention like you know like terrorism or something like that or uh, you know Muhammad having sex with a prepubescent girl and you know these these get lots of people's attention and so on but when i'm thinking what you know what are my real objections to islam um it, it, my main one is is something that we call the islamic dilemma right oh. and that's that's basically the idea that the quran over and over and over again affirms not just the initial inspiration of the Jewish and Christian scriptures, but also their preservation by Allah and their present authority, uh, their present ongoing continuing authority. So the Quran, the Quran doesn't just affirm the initial inspiration. It does. It affirms the inspiration of the Torah and the gospel in Surah 3, verses 3 to 4. But the Quran goes on to claim that Jews and Christians still had the Torah and the gospel during the time of Muhammad, that's Surah 7, verse 157. Um, when a group of Jews came to Muhammad to settle a dispute, Allah responded, Muhammad, why do they need you when they have the Torah? That's Surah 5, verse 43 of the Quran. Allah says, why do they need you when they have the Torah? So that makes no sense that the Jews no longer had the Torah, the Torah had been corrupted. If the Torah had been corrupted, they would need Muhammad to clarify what they're supposed to believe. But Allah's response is they don't need you, Muhammad. Um, and then just a few verses later, Allah commands Christians to judge by the gospel, not by the Quran, not by Muhammad, to judge by the gospel. Um, even Muhammad himself, even Muhammad himself, Surah 10 verse 94 was told that if he has doubts about his revelations, he should go to the people of the book to make sure that his revelations line up with our revelations. And Surah 5 verse 68, um, Allah says that Christians and Jews have no ground to stand upon unless we stand upon the Torah and the gospel and all mm -hmm. the revelation that has come to us. So that's the case in the Quran. And even if you go outside the Quran, if you go to the, the Hadith, um, Muhammad told his followers that Jews and Christians still have the Torah and the gospel in a, in a similar way that Muslims have the Quran. Um, it's just that we're not really paying attention to it very much. And so this is what you find if you go to the Quran. And the problem is the Quran contradicts the Bible on fundamental doctrines. Muslims today know this. And so Muslims today are forced to say that the Bible has been corrupted when it, that never occurred to Allah. And that certainly never occurred to Muhammad that our scriptures were corrupted. Mm -hmm. And so what happens is when we get into a discussion about this with our Muslim friends, we bring this problem up and we say, hey, wait a minute, there are two possibilities here. Either we have the inspired, preserved, authoritative word of God, or we don't. It's been corrupted or something else. Uh, if we have the inspired, preserved, authoritative word of God, Islam is false because Islam contradicts our scriptures on fundamental doctrines. If we don't have the inspired, preserved, authoritative word of God, Islam is still false because the Quran affirms the inspiration and preservation and authority of our scriptures. So if we have the word of God, Islam is false. If we don't have the word of God, Islam is false. Either way, Islam is false. You guys got some problems here. 
And the response is the miracle of reinterpretation, right? So they'll go and, and this sort of gets at the heart of a lot of problems that I have with uh, Islam, that uh, when you bring this problem up, Muslim apologists will then say, ah, what this verse really means is this, what this verse really means is that, when all the clear verses that are talking about our scriptures affirm our, our scriptures. And so they'll reinterpret all of the clearest claims about the Torah and the gospel. Then they'll go to all these passages, which, which if you read them in context, or if you read the historical background, clearly aren't saying anything about the corruption of the text of the Torah and the gospel, but they'll interpret it like that. And then so what you have is this miracle of reinterpretation where all of the clear statements of the Quran, which affirm our scriptures, those are reinterpreted to make it sound like something completely different. And all of these verses that in context aren't saying anything about the corruption of our text are somehow reinterpreted to imply the corruption of our text. And so Islam just turns out to be, it, when I see them doing this, it's like you're, you're turning Islam into whatever you want. It's like you go to the Quran and say, hey, what do I want to believe here? And I'm just going to interpret the Quran as saying that, even if it, even if it's, even if your interpretation is saying the exact opposite of what Allah is saying, they'll just put words in Allah's mouth, they'll put words in Muhammad's mouth. And so it's basically uh, my, my main uh, problem with Islam it would be something like the Islamic dilemma and the position that it forces Muslim apologists into. Because when your religion just self-destructs like this, what are you going to do? And it forces you to completely reinterpret all of Allah's statements about the preservation of the previous text, which means that it's not Allah and Muhammad who are defining Islam. You're defining Islam and then putting your words into uh, the mouth of Allah and Muhammad. And I, I have a problem. I just can't take it seriously. The, the, the issue is, um, what I find so interesting about this is, uh, you know, when we, we're talking about uh, how much the... Uh, the Bible is supposedly corrupted according to to Islam, and we're talking about you know wh when this corruption happened. What is uh, exactly um, you know, what is the original? What is what is not the original? What, what's funny to me is um, you know Muslims try to explain that uh, it has been corrupted by Christians and by Jews deliber deliberately to some level. But to what extent can you really corrupt the scriptures and turn it into what it is right now? Because you see on every page, I mean, if you open the the, the Gospels, if you look at the New Testament, you see that on you see on. Pretty, in, in very much every book, in every chapter, on almost every page, you see something that fundamentally uh, contradicts with Islam, with Islam's core beliefs, and that basically uh, falsifies and invalidates Islam. If you look into the the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, uh, even if you look into the the, the first uh, five books of Moses, you see that uh, there's just so much in there that clearly contradicts Islam. There's so much information that clearly falsifies. Islam that debunks Islam. So you have to really erase so much in that book. You have to get rid of so much content in that in that book to argue that uh, that those parts were made up by Jews and Christians, and that the original is actually something different. And that is just very hard to believe. You know, how can you possibly argue that they completely fundamentally changed the, this uh, the, the, those those books entirely, and that people just went with it, that people just uh, accepted that, you know, that people didn't have an objection to that? Mm. It's just yeah. very absurd. It's hard to believe. Yeah, and I mean if they would actually think about this, apart from completely contradicting the Quran and Muhammad, because the Quran and Muhammad say that no one can change Allah's words and things uh -huh. like that. Um, apart from, even if you left all of that off the table, if you just came up with the theory that Christians somehow 
uh, corrupted the Bible across the board, Christians were never in a position to do that, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the gospel spread very far, very fast. It spread across the Middle East, it spread across Northern Africa, it spread into Europe. And it was at a time when there was no central authority. I mean, the, you know, the, the, the church is persecuted for three centuries. They're not in a position. It, it, there's a reason when we talk about like the Council of Nicaea and when Christians got together and started having councils, there's a reason those start in like the fourth century. You, mm -hmm. you, you can't have you can't have that before beforehand. So you had Christians in different places and so on. No one's in a position to come through and say, everyone hand over your Bibles. We're going to change them. Yeah. Right. So in other words, if someone in the Middle East were to say, you know what, I'm going to change what the Gospel of Matthew here says. That doesn't change it in Egypt. That doesn't change it. I mean, yeah, it, that doesn't change it in Northern Africa. That doesn't change it in Rome. That doesn't change it in Greece. So textual critics would be able to spot that sort of thing. You can spot those kinds of changes. So yeah, there's just no way. They were never in a position to enforce universal corruption of the scripture. There is a religion where there was a position to do, people were in a position to do that, right? Where you do have someone like Uthman ordering everyone to hand over their uh, Qurans so that he can issue an authoritative version and then burn all the other manuscripts. Now, AP, can you just imagine if Christians had if had done that, right? If that were in, in Christian history where all Christians were ordered to hand over their Bibles and then all of them were burned and they put out an authoritative version, Muslims would be shouting that from the yeah. rooftops. You see, yeah. that's when it was corrupted. That's when it was changed. <laughs> but no, Christians have never been in that position but Muslims have, and so it's just a uh, yeah. Yeah, with, very, with the Quran, it actually happened that, that 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 there was a that that uh, there was a center of authority that the Quran went out from, which is why Muslims were actually in power and in in charge. They were actually able to manipulate the Quran's content entirely, and we don't have any reason to to trust what comes from their hands. We could make the exact same accusations that they make about Christians about about Islam and about about the Quran, but it's it's just very hard to to see that. For, for them, I guess. Um, what I find funny is that, you know, uh, when we talk about when the Bible was corrupted, when these scriptures were corrupted, Muslims will uh, likely say that uh, that Jesus came, because that's what uh, what they argue. Jesus came uh, to, uh, to spread a message. He was given a message. He was given the message of the gospel, whatever uh, that is in their view. They have this, you know, Islam has this, this, this interesting idea that Jesus was given a message, a book called the gospel, and uh, he was given the book of the gospel. <laughs> a book that doesn't exist that never did exist and and they would argue that uh that his immediate followers or uh followers believers who did adopt the christian belief from his immediate followers corrupted his message by losing that scripture and then uh making up something different but that is just i mean that is so insane it's, mm -hmm. it's you can't you can't believe that you can't possibly argue that and wouldn't that kind of uh look like jesus was sent by allah because that's the argument jesus was sent by allah for nothing and it, mm -hmm. it was basically like uh allah sends jesus to send a clear message to the people but what ends up happening is that people get even more confused and even more corrupted jesus has actually uh by islamic standards no proper purpose he's completely meaningless and he just makes matters worse by appearing and by uh basically letting people lead others astray in his name I mean, it's it's very strange really how can you really 
argue your way out of that. Yeah, and that's that's really the the issue. There's no there's no coherent way for Muslims to explain this because if they want to say you know Jesus brought the gospel, and then his followers lost it somehow or was overpowered by the apostle Paul, one that that already shows what you guys really think. It, it's like, uh, oh, we, we respect Jesus. Doesn't sound like you do. Sounds like he's a total failure, uh, yeah. according to what Muslims tell us today. Apart from that, Allah says he's going to protect the true followers of Jesus until the day of resurrection, which he obviously didn't if uh, if if their work was, was corrupted and the apostle Paul overpowered them. But even so, granting whatever you want to say, whoever corrupted it, the apostle Paul, uh, the council of Nicaea, whatever you want to say, the, the gospel's supposedly still in the hands of Christians during the seventh century when Muhammad's around. And so when Muslims say, no, it was lost, that you're, you're all I hear from you when you say, no, your Bible's been corrupted is our God and our prophet are completely ignorant and we know better. Well, great. If you're, if, if you know better than your God and your prophet, don't tell me about your religion then because you, you know better. And doesn't the, doesn't the Quran say, uh, Correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, it, it, it even says something in a verse like, uh, why do they come and ask you when yep. they have the scripture with them, which was sent to them or which which, which was revealed to them? Yeah, so and, the, the, and the, the historical background then was, uh, so Muhammad is a political leader at this time. Jews come to Muhammad to settle a dispute and they put Muhammad on this like uh, judgment cushion where you sit on this cushion to signify that you're the judge. Muhammad yeah. gets up off the judgment cushion tells the Jews to bring out the Torah, puts the Torah on the judgment cushion and says, I believe in you and in the one who revealed you, signifying, hey, I'm not the judge here. The Torah is the judge. That makes no sense if the Torah has been corrupted, if the Jews altered their scriptures. And so he's confirming what Allah says, namely, why do they come to you for judgment when they have the Torah? Uh -huh. And somehow Muslims look at all of that and say, yep, somehow this is saying that the Torah has been corrupted, the gospel has been corrupted, you can't trust those scriptures, you need the Quran. And if that's your view, you're basically telling me that Allah and Muhammad are the absolute worst communicators in all of history. Yeah. Yeah. And if your God and your prophet are the worst communicators in all of history, there's no way I, I could ever know what to believe and what to do according to your religion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what, what really seems to happen is that uh, Muhammad just has these initial approaches where he tries to uh, be friendly and good with the Christians and Jews, where he uh, basically says, well, they have their own beliefs. I have my beliefs. You know, they have their beliefs. We have our beliefs. They have their scripture. We have our scripture. I actually made a list of, uh, of every single verse that mentions uh, Jews, Christians, and people of the book. I'm mm -hmm. kind of, I'm working on uh, two or three different videos on that. And mm -hmm. uh, it, it declares several times that they already have a scripture and that they can just stick to that scripture that they are on a good path the christians and jews but but uh ultimately it just uh increasingly changes the attitude of islam and muhammad changes toward uh being hostile against them and toward declaring that their religion is no longer accepted only islam is accepted they and they have to now accept islam or perish and if you do say that and leave that to the Muslims, and they have no other way to do that except to say, "Hey, uh, the scripture that these people have is cannot be trusted anymore." Especially if those scriptures clearly say things that contradict the uh, mm -hmm. the the Quranic Islamic message. Mm -hmm. All right, so that's uh, my first point. What do you What do you got cooking? My first point is uh, so that that would be the second for you. My first point is. Uh, is is the ignorance of Islam, specifically the uh, the the scientific ignorance, and also what bothered me 
uh, the the ignorance of we, we we were just talking about it a little bit, but the mm -hmm. the ignorance of of religion in general. Uh, th this to me is a is a big problem because uh, you know there are there are a lot of ideologies, a lot of beliefs, a lot of ideas in the world that that to me are clearly wrong and that to me uh, clearly uh, say and preach wrong things. A lot of ideas have wrong things. That's that's no issue. But with Islam, it's much bigger. The, the problem is much bigger. With Islam, you have a book whose core idea it is that uh, it has all the truth in it, that everything that it says is true. It makes this claim over and over again, tries to uh, convince everyone that it is at the absolute truth. It is the, the word of Allah. And it repeatedly makes claims uh, about the natural world around us, about, uh, about, about, about so many different things. And uh, I grew up. I grew up believing that everything that I that I read there must be true. But then, when I was a religious Muslim, I kept thinking about uh, all the all the ignorance that I am taught through the Quran, like uh, you know the scientific descriptions of the sky and the, the sun and the moon and stars and and all that. You know, I made a whole list sixty scientific mistakes. Uh, so that that is that is i think uh my biggest uh problem with it and i and i think uh this is also very problematic uh, to muslims when you bring up today that the quran has uh scientific mistakes you know very well they try to <laughs> they try to reinterpret everything the miracle of reinterpretation they try to reinterpret it as much as possible, try to make it say things that it doesn't say. They try to argue that it is not a book of science, but a book of science. But uh, if a book clearly makes scientific claims, then you have to respond to those scientific claims. You can't just say it's not, it's not a book of science. If it does make clear claims about the sun and the moon and the natural world around us, then these are scientific claims. And scientific claims must be analyzed. You have to... Uh, fact check them you have to uh, think them through respond to them see if they tell you the truth or truth or not if islam is so assertive in its claim that it is telling the truth especially then you have to uh you have to you have to go there and confront those claims that it makes and when you confront those claims you see that it has so many mistakes in its in its assertions such as uh that that the sun uh goes somewhere at night according to one quran verse it goes to uh <laughs> it, it goes to uh set in a in a in a in a, in a uh, muddy spring mm -hmm. according to muhammad's further descriptions in the hadith it goes to prostrate itself under the throne of allah at night uh and then it comes back to its rising place in the morning and uh one day it will not be allowed to rise and allah will say to the sun hey go go back where you came from and then the sun will rise in the west and that's when uh judgment day will come i mean these descriptions seriously you have a religion that so clearly so confidently says hey everything that i say is true and then it makes claims like these and you are supposed to believe in that and fully submit to that and never question that and that this might not be uh many people might not consider this a reason to uh firmly oppose islam but to me that is big i am born into it people are born into it and we are we are forced basically to believe that this is the absolute truth and then it's, and then it's just so much ignorance so much nonsense that when you look at it it's it's just so clear that it is full of ignorance mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have so much of, of, of a problem with people saying, hey, we need to reinterpret this, or you know, it's about signs, not science, and so on. But they make it their main argument. They make the one of their main arguments the miraculous scientific knowledge of the Quran. And then you point out all the scientific problems, and then well, we have to reinterpret those. And then the verses that they actually go to to show their scientific miracles are verses where if you read them, they're not actually making any sort of legitimate scientific claim at all. Uh -huh. that, but they'll they'll say, ah, but you know, one of the 17 ways to translate this is as this, and how could Muhammad know this? And you look at the commentators and so on, and no commentator ever said that it meant that. None of Muhammad's companions ever interpreted it that way. But after some modern scientific discovery, suddenly, oh my goodness, uh, we found a way to translate some verse uh, in that way, and we'll just ignore all of the obvious uh, all, all the obvious mistakes and so on. And so uh, it, it's it's the idea that you're saying, here's how we know that Islam is true. And then when you're presenting this evidence to us, it's, hey, it, notice it's very similar to what I said about the Islamic dilemma. It's all of the clear verses in the Quran that are talking about our scriptures are affirming our scriptures. So they have to reinterpret them. And then they have to go to all these verses that aren't talking about the corruption of the scriptures. And they have to interpret them as somehow saying that our scriptures have been corrupted. They do the same thing with something like science. All of the clear verses that talk about science in the Quran, they're either things that any idiot would have known during the time of Muhammad. Like there is a sun, there is a moon. Um, anytime he gets more specific, he's, he's, he's wrong in more epic fashion than just about anyone else in history has ever been. And then they have to go to all these verses that aren't talking about anything scientific and interpret them as if they're saying some great scientific truth or something. Uh, so yeah, that's just this, it's very strange to say, here's our evidence, but our evidence is really based on the, the miracle of our being able to reinterpret uh, anything. And so, uh, yeah. And, and so that was your first Point. My second point would actually be related to that. Um, we're focusing on different things, but my, my second point would be connected to that in that my, it, it, if you look at Islam, it really seems like a jumble of everything that was around Muhammad during, you know, in seventh century Arabia. It doesn't sound like, if you read the Quran, it doesn't sound like some book that was there from all eternity, Allah's eternal speech, and then he drops it down in seventh century Arabia so that people have it. Um, it looks like uh, it looks like you took the teachings of seventh century Judaism, the teachings of seventh century uh, heretical Christianity that was in the Middle East, the teachings of the pagans, the teachings of various groups, and tossed them all in and the, the, the practices of the pagans, like going to, you know, taking the, the pilgrimage and uh, walking circles around the Kaaba and so on. It looks like you took everything around Muhammad at his time and stuck it into a big blender. And that and Islam is what came out of it. And so j j just as example, you know, you mentioned the sun setting in a, in a pool. That's a part of that's part of a story about Dual Karnain, um, who traveled so far west, he found the place where the sun sets. Well, we have that story elsewhere around the same time in a work called The Glorious Deeds of Alexander. Uh -huh. So he's the Quran is repeating another story that already existed and we know is false and ridiculous. So it seems like Muhammad is getting this story from other people that are already, you know, in places where it already existed. Uh, and you find this over and over earlier in Surah 18, you have the, the story of the sleepers of the cave where these 
three, you know, 300 plus people go into a cave and they, I mean, are these people going there and then for 300 or, or 309 or whatever uh, years, um, they're in this cave and so on. Then they come out and it talks about their dog and so on. And we know where that comes from. We know where these stories come from. Um, over and over again, the story of, of uh, Cain learning from a bird to bury Abel. Uh, we, we know where these stories come from. We can trace them to Islam, to sources that are in Arabia during the same time as Muhammad. And they end up as the eternal speech of Allah. And so this is the reason this is amazing because you were talking about the ignorance. This is why I said it's actually connected. You have, let's say, the Torah, right? There are teachings in the Torah that are, according to Jews and Christians and Muslims, the inspired word of God. But then you have other teachings, which they're in Jewish sources, but it's like a commentary by a later rabbi, or it's a story by a later rabbi that ends up in the Talmud. Both of those sources end up in the Quran. So you'll have something that's clearly taken from the Torah, but you'll have something that's clearly taken from the Talmud. So ju ju just, as, just as an example, um, the, the story of Cain and Abel, the story of Cain and Abel, um, where Cain kills Abel and then a bird shows up in the Quran to show, uh, to show Cain how to bury his brother. Right after that, you have Allah saying, Surah 5, verse 32 of the Quran, therefore Allah revealed to the children of Israel that if anyone killed a man, except for, you know, some exceptions, it's as if he killed all mankind. Yeah, we actually we know where that comes from. That's a commentary, right? And it's a comment. It's a commentary by a Jewish rabbi who points. He's com he's he's commenting on the story of Cain and Abel, and he says, in Hebrew, it doesn't say your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. It says your brother's bloods, plural. It's plural bloods. And the way he interprets that, he interprets that to mean that it's not just this person's blood, it's the blood of all his future descendants. And that's why it's plural. And he's saying, so by killing by killing Abel, you weren't just killing Abel, you were killing all his future descendants. And he concludes and says, so if you kill a man, it's as if you killed all mankind, you're killing all his future descendants. And so that's a commentary by a Jewish rabbi, but the the commentary actually ends up in the Quran. So this happens over and over again on, on basically any issue. You're talking about issues with religion. You're talking about history. It just looks like a giant, like everything around the Muhammad was stirred up into a big pot of gumbo and you get Islam. And the idea that this is the eternal speech that was just handed down at that time. And yet it's clearly influenced by everything else there. Um, yeah, that, I look at that and I say, my goodness, I mean, it's like obvious what where Islam came from. And somehow Muslims will look at all of that and say, yep, eternal speech of Allah, totally, you know, totally distinct and independent of all the stuff that's going around Muhammad during this time. Yeah, so um, th th this is the verse that we are talking about. It says in the Quran, because of that, we decreed upon the children of Israel that whoever kills a soul, unless for a soul or for corruption done in the land, it is as if he had slain mankind entirely. And whoever saves one, it is as if he had saved mankind entirely. And our messengers had certainly come to them with clear proofs. Then indeed, many of them after that throughout the land were transgressors. What's funny is that after this verse, uh, it says very brutally, indeed, the penalty for those who wait 
wage war against Allah and his messenger and strive upon earth uh, to cause corruption is none but that they be killed or crucified or that their hands and feet be cut off from opposite sides or that they be exiled from the land. And this is a punishment that still happens today. I recently saw uh, news reports from Somalia where they actually applied this punishment to uh, rebels and people like that who oppose the 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 the, the regime and uh yeah what what, ha what happens here is as david ex uh, explained um the quran says we decreed upon the children of israel that whoever kills a soul he has killed all mankind but what actually what you actually see when you go back to uh, the jewish scriptures you see that this is actually part of the talmud in the talmud uh this is said by a by a rabbi it is not said by uh by god in the um in the Hebrew Bible, it is not said by a certain prophet or anything like that. It is said by commentators in the Talmud who make comments on specific uh, old Torah verses or old uh, Torah texts. Mm -hmm. So uh, even if Muslims want to say, well, you know, uh, Allah sent the old books as well and he sent the Quran as well. And of course, he gave both of them the same message. That's why the message ended up here. Uh, and the same message also ended up in the Quran. But we're talking about a rabbi. The, the, this this idea, this whole uh, this whole commentary, whoever kills a soul it is as if, he, as if he had killed all mankind, was made by a rabbi, not by some prophet. Mm -hmm. It wasn't uh, found in some text that was supposedly revealed by uh, God or by Allah. It was made by a by a rabbi no. and, and, it, it, and what what's what's funny here is this comes from mishnah sanhedrin chapter four if anyone wants to look it up where you have that this this commentary from the rabbi the connection between verse 31 and verse 32 actually makes sense so he's telling the story uh, so you have the story of Cain and Abel, and then he makes the point about your brother's bloods cr crying up from the ground. And he draws out the, the inference that this is, um, that this is about, uh, all future descendants, right? But he draws out that point in here. He just, the Quran just tells the story of Cain and Abel, and then has the story about the bird and says, because of this God decreed, and it's like, wait a minute. How are you getting from the story of Cain killing Abel <laughs> that if anyone kills a man, it's as if he killed all mankind? What, what's the connection there, right? It's like you can't just say whenever, you, I mean, imagine someone walks up, kills another person. You say, oh, yep, God just revealed because of this that if you killed someone, it's as if you killed all mankind. You say, what, what, what's the connection there? There's a connection in the Talmud. The Talmud explains it. He explains how he's drawing that message out of the text. Allah doesn't. And so it's not just that he's a plagiarist, it's that he's a horrible plagiarist and leaves out details that make sense of the passage. And so, yeah, this is why I said that my second point would connect to your first point in that the, the author of the Quran could not tell the difference between something that's supposedly scripture and a commentary. It couldn't tell the difference between myth and something that's supposedly true. It couldn't, it just can't tell the difference. And it's funny because even in the Quran itself, over and over and over again, like a beating drum, Muhammad's delivering these revelations. And even the pagans are going, these are just tales of the ancients. These yeah. are fables of the men of old. And they called Muhammad the ear. <laughs> and they said, because, <laughs> because he believes everything he hears, right? Yeah. And so here we are all, the, and the point here is, even the pagans could look at this and say, dude, we know where you're getting these stories. This story you just supposedly got from a revelation. We heard it over there. They're telling that story as a bedtime story because they know it's a joke and you're telling it as the inspired word of God. Are you really this stupid? 
And that's a, that's a, that's how they reacted. According to the Quran, that's how they reacted. And so again, the idea that this is miraculous knowledge when it's just coming from the people around Muhammad and being plagiarized poorly from them, uh, it, it, it's very, very difficult to take this book seriously. What's funny is that the Quran actually uh, responds to these people all the time. When, when they when they say Muhammad is just making things up or Muhammad is just a liar or Muhammad is, is crazy, the Quran mentions that. He says, and they say, you are crazy. No, they are crazy. Allah yeah. will punish them. <laughs> it keeps doing that. It's, it's very funny when yeah. you pay attention to that, when you become conscious of that and you uh, you watch how often the Quran uh, respo angrily responds to people who, uh, who make accusations against Muhammad or who mock Muhammad, and then it starts uh, brutally attacking them because it can't take it can't take criticism. It's it's very it's really very funny to which uh, we, we should make a list of every single time that the Quran responds to people who uh, call out Muhammad. It's 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 mm -hmm. hilarious. Uh, so that th that was your second point. My second point will be uh, most is is mostly about the um, Islam's uh, strict imposition and control over uh, your life and over everything that you think. Uh, this this I think is what makes Islam so distinct. It is not simply. Um, a religion that gives you uh, specific beliefs and says hold hold on to these beliefs hold on to the belief of i don't know uh, of, of of salvation of god and the afterlife and this and that no it doesn't uh stop with that what it does is that it uh, imposes all kinds of uh behaviors and um you know all kinds of things on you it wants you to abide by specific rules throughout your entire life throughout your days and your nights uh from how you how you dress how you walk how you speak how you laugh what you joke about uh what you do with your time how you wipe yourself after you go to the toilet how you go to the toilet how you eat your food and so on it's, it's just it is really uh intense how much islam has control over you and um of course if you uh, are born as a muslim if you grow up as a muslim and if you live in a in a family that is uh religious and that does its best to that does their best to abide by islamic laws then and you are, uh, you suffer from that. You suffer from these constant do's and don'ts in a very strict way. And um, so, I, I just wanted, to, I just wanted to say something. I lost my thought. But yeah, so, so, so you, you are, you are given very clear instructions. Oh yeah, uh, what you see when you look at uh, Muslims is, um, I'm not exaggerating. This is a very common Muslim behavior. When they are confronted with uh, something that they uh, want to say or something that they want to do, then you will see that uh, they go online or they find their local imam or they find somebody and they ask whether they are allowed or not to do this specific thing. And these are very basic things in your life, like very basic things like, I don't know, playing video games or, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> cleaning your nose while you're fasting in Ramadan or, uh, <laughs> I don't know, uh, having an accident with water while you're fasting in Ramadan or, 
you know, uh, passing gas while you are praying and things like that. And and you you find that Muslims are brutally concerned about these things. And they actually go and ask questions. Will my prayer be invalidated because I accidentally, I think I accidentally pass a little bit of gas during my prayer. What will happen to my prayer? Will it be invalidated? And then you go online and you see a long article about that, about exactly that, uh, what you should pay attention to, what you shouldn't pay attention to. You should make sure if you are, if you smell it or not if you heard it or not mm -hmm. because uh, your prayer is valid or invalid based on that it is really amazing what kinds of stuff uh, <laughs> Islamic sources get into you know and mm -hmm. this is just it is it is very intense and on top of that you're not supposed to I just broke something I had in my hand on top of that you're not supposed to question uh, anything that you hear that comes from Muhammad and that comes from Allah. Because Muhammad says in a hadith uh, that the devil, Satan, will come, shaitan will come, and he will uh, ask you questions about Allah. And if he asks you questions, these are your doubts, your questions that you have about Allah. You are simply supposed to shut up, say, I seek refuge in Allah, and never engage in thinking about such idle questions again. So uh, Islam doesn't clarify your doubts. It simply says, don't have doubts. Don't you dare have doubts. Just do what I say. Obey Allah and his messenger fully and be a good Muslim and submit to Allah. And this is just, I don't know, this is very uncomfortable. Yeah, and uh, it's this is often a, a kind of source of confusion between Muslims and Christians because we sort of have different concept of what human beings are and what you know how god sort of reveals principles for living right in islam it seems to be you don't know how to do anything unless allah tells you how to do anything you literally cannot understand how to go to the bathroom unless allah tells you and if allah hasn't if you are not doing it allah's way um as revealed by Muhammad's example, then you're doing it the wrong way. Um, you know, again, going to the bathroom, how many stones you need to wipe yourself with, right? I mean, the, the, the Muslim sources are filled with things like this. Whereas uh, these kinds of things in Christianity are usually, I mean, you do have rules and so on, but usually they're principle-based, right? It gives you a principle and then you apply the principle and you don't need 500 rules for all these different situations because you have a principle. So you take a principle like do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, if, if you're in a situation, hey, should I smack this guy in the mouth or something like that? Well, I wouldn't want to be smacked in the mouth. So therefore, I don't need to, I don't need, you don't need a specific rule for every situation that you, that you might be in. Um, but this idea, I mean, the, the, the source of the source of confusion between the two is Christianity has a pretty high view of man, not in terms of what human beings actually do, but kind of what they're meant for. And we're in the image of God and we're supposed to be cre you know, creating and having authority over the, over the earth and things like that. And so when you hear, no, you're, completely ignorant morons and you don't know how to go to the bathroom unless God gives you 10, 25 rules, then it's like, it's like you're degrading human beings. But at the same time, when Muslims look at Christians, they're like, ha ha, you don't have these 25 rules for going to the bathroom. Ha ha, your, your religion doesn't tell you all this stuff. And it's, and we're like, what are you, what are you talking about? Right? We, we don't need to be, we don't need rules for all that stuff. Right. Um, but yeah, it, 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 and, and I, I would have to say, I believe that this is, 
this is an ongoing problem for the Muslim world in that they're not viewed as having this, you know, this, these sort of amazing creative abilities in the world to go in and figure things out and for discoveries and so on. It's you're completely incompetent and incapable unless God tells you something. Well, what's that mean? It means that, you know, God has already given his revelation. So I need to just stick with that. Anything beyond that. Well, I'm just, I'm just kind of screwed. And you can see what this kind of does. Um, if, if you don't know what I mean, just, just look up the number of number of Nobel prizes in science and any other related field that have come about um, from the Islamic world. And then compare that with, you know, either the United States or Israel or something like that. So it's a massive difference in, in what you sort of believe about human beings and their status in the world. You know what I find so ironic about this? Uh, Muslims keep complaining about, or the Quran complains about how, uh, it asserts that the Christians have taken their, uh, the Christians and Jews have taken their, their 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 priests and their rabbis as gods besides Allah, and they listen to them. They do whatever they say, and uh, it complains about how the Christians and the the Jews have taken their prophets as gods and have taken their 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 their, their priests as gods. But then the irony here is that uh, that Judaism and, and Judaism and Christianity don't have this concept of um, of taking a certain prophet who is only a prophet and then to fully obey him and to do everything that he says to imitate him entirely and all that whereas muslims have that muslims have a a prophet a human prophet who's merely a human who's merely a prophet but they take him as their lord they take him as their god follow him entirely do everything that he did uh do everything that he tells them to do and uh, they are never to doubt him unless they want to lose their faith they are to obey him in everything that he says and does. So the irony here is is really is really huge. It's 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 mm -hmm. rather funny. <laughs> All right, we're down to our last two here. Yep. Next yours, I think. Right. All right. So my, my last uh sort of we're covering our major points. And I mean, we obviously I think Sam and I made some videos once that were like 50 reasons Muhammad is not a prophet. So there are all kinds of reasons you could go through here. Um, but as far as sort of broad problems with Islam um, would be connected already to a lot of what what we've said uh, so far but it's that um, basically there aren't too many religions that say here's how you can know that this is true right that here here's this thing that you can go out and test to, to find that this is true right like Christianity says you know that Christianity is true because Jesus rose from the dead right he was dead and then he was he was alive again and appeared to, to people later on and so it's something it's something you could look at in islam islam is one of the the few religions who said here's how you can actually know that this religion is true and it gives arguments to show that the religion is supposedly true now some of them are totally silly like in the quran allah's main argument for the authority of the quran is uh the amazing supernatural eloquence of the quran which is one of the most ridiculous arguments ever. The, the argument of the Quran is if you can't produce something like this, then you have to admit that it's the infallible word of God. And guys, yeah. Even if, even if no one could write anything like the Quran, that would have, as far as I can tell, absolutely nothing to do with whether it's the word of God, right? Notice this would be like me saying, if you can't write a symphony like Mozart, then you have to admit that it's the inspired music of God. 
No, it doesn't. No, it no, it doesn't. It, it would it, at at the at the at the most, it would mean Mozart is a composer who doesn't make music like anyone else. That's the most it would ever make. That's the most it would ever mean, right? Um, and then if you actually go to the Quran and find that it's this jumble of incoherent stories and um, plagiarized stories, and they're horribly disorganized and so on, it's like. I mean, my goodness, just put the Quran in order. It would make it better. All these verses where we read a verse and a Muslim tells us tells us what Allah really meant, just say what Allah actually meant and it would be better, right? So yes. you read Surah 929, fight those who do not believe in Allah. M Muslim friends, what does that mean? It means only fight people who are attacking you. Well, that would be better. That would be better than what Allah actually said, right? So what, do, what are you talking about here? If, if Allah simply said what he meant, that would be a better book. So there's all kinds of ways to improve upon the Quran. But the point here is the arguments that Muslims give, they fall apart at the slightest bit of scrutiny. And I don't mean, hey, you gave me an argument and, you know, I disagree with your conclusion, but I kind of see where you're coming from, right? Because you you can, you can reject an argument, but still see, okay, I, I see why you agree with the argument, right? Like if an atheist, We've talked about this in the past. If an atheist says, you know, if 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 an all-powerful, perfectly good being created all of this, why is there so much pain and suffering in the world? I can I cannot agree with your conclusion because I believe in God, but I can say, you know what? At the end of the day, I understand where you're coming from with this point. I understand why you'd conclude that. I I, I get that. With Islam, it's not, hey, I understand where you're coming from, but I disagree. It's as soon as you start examining the argument, it falls apart after like two minutes of research. So so one of the most popular arguments for Islam over the past couple of decades has been the miraculous, perfect preservation of the Quran. You could, I mean, you could see how bogus that claim is in two minutes, two minutes. I mean, my goodness, if you, if you go through the Muslim sources and, you know, you could either go through the Muslim sources or you could look at quotations from them. But they talk about entire chapters of the Quran coming up missing because Muslims were too lazy to recite them. They talk about large passages coming up missing because the only people who had them memorized died in battle. They talk about verses coming up missing because Aisha had the only copy and they're eaten by a sheep. Right. So that's what you have back then. Even today, even today, you have different Qurans that are used different Arabic Qurans that are used in different parts of the world. The Qurans today don't line up. You And here's the thing, you open up a Muslim apologetics book that's used for Dawah, and it'll say perfect preservation right down to the letter, not one difference anywhere in the history of the text. And then you actually see, and it's completely ridiculous, and Muslim scholars know that you have all kinds of textual variants in the manuscripts, you were, there were all these uh, disagreements about which chapters were even supposed to be in the Quran. And they know that different parts of the world use different Qurans. And the 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 really disturbing part here is you can you can go to videos by like Sheikh Yasser Qadi. His videos that are made for Dawah, he will say perfect preservation right down to the letter from the time that Uthman wrote these wrote these out. Not one letter's difference anywhere. And then you go to his videos that are made for people he calls students of knowledge. So these are people who are like on their way to becoming uh, knowledgeable and scholars and so on. And he'll and he'll be saying yes. And so in different parts of the world, we have different Qurans that have different Arabic texts. And it's like, wait a minute, you know you're lying. You flat out know you're lying when you say not one difference anywhere. You know you're lying when you said that, and yet you say it anyway. And this is basically the case with all of the arguments that are put forward with Islam. You have the claim 
and the claim is meant to convince all kinds of people and you start looking into it and you find that the argument actually falls apart upon the slightest scrutiny and then you realize what's going on and it's people like Zucker Naik, people like Yasser Qadi, they basically know if we say something, perfect preservation right down to the letter, 99% of the audience is gonna mindlessly believe us. Yeah. They're not gonna bother investigating. And if if 1% actually bother to go look it up, well, we could say we the mob can take care of them. The mob can the mob can shout them down and call them bigots and hate mongers and so on. So all we have to do is just keep spreading lies and nonsense and build up our religion that way. And just looking at all of this and saying, wait a minute, you take all these arguments and you know they're false, you know they're ridiculous, and you keep putting them out there in order to keep you know keep building up bigger and bigger number of followers to silence everyone else. There's no way that the true religion needs this. You, the tr if this were the truth, it would not need this kind of methodology. And yet it's what you've got from Islam. It is really strange. It's really mindless how uh, Muslims keep repeating this one challenge that you, uh, I, I made a video about this. You just mentioned it, how um, you can prove Islam wrong by simply producing some, something like the Quran, by producing a chapter like a Quran chapter or by writing something better than the Quran. And uh, and they keep repeating this. You see it over and over again. I see it every week, several times. If you think the Quran is a bad book or if you think the Quran is wrong, then make something that is better than the Quran or make something like the Quran and it's it's like when you ask when you ask people what they mean they themselves have no idea what they're talking about because the, the Quran itself uh, makes that challenge the Quran initially challenges people to write something like the Quran or to write something better than, than the Quran and then to call upon whoever you have besides Allah if you should be truthful that's what the Quran says but you can't say write something like the Quran or better than the Quran without specifying what exactly you mean. There are tons of things out there that are much better than the Quran, much more pleasant than the Quran. The Quran is a boring book. It is a stupid book. It is repetitive. You can't go through it properly. Muslims themselves can't make themselves read it. I mean, I, I challenged Muslims in my video that I made about it. I challenged them here again. If you have a problem with what I'm saying about the Quran, if you have a problem with what we are saying about the Quran, what you should do is uh, don't, don't tell me about your experience. Don't tell me what you think about the Quran. Don't tell me how much you love it. Sit down, be honest to yourself, start reading the Quran. I'm serious. This is my challenge to you. And you don't have to share it with anybody. I don't care. Sit down, start reading the Quran and enjoy it. Tell yourself that you enjoy it. Tell yourself honestly that you enjoy this, enjoy reading this book. Sit there and, and wonder, look at yourself look into yourself and, and and ask yourself if you are really liking what you are reading, if you're really enjoying this book, if this book really appeals to you, if this is really a good book, if you're really finding this book great, especially if you have read different books, if you like reading books, you will quickly notice that there are tons of books that you have read that are much better than the Quran. It's not very difficult to find books that are better than the Quran. They are everywhere. I said, I read I read the first book of Twilight. Don't ask me why. And that book is, <laughs> I was, that book is much better than the Quran. I'm serious. My video tomorrow, apostate prophet exposed <laughs> for reading Twilight. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, uh, yeah, it is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is really a really, really horrible, horrible book. And once again, we've talked about this before. I'm not saying that because I disagree with it. Right. I disagree with David Hume's dialogues concerning natural religion. It's phenomenally and brilliantly written. I disagree with probably 
85% of Plato's Republic, brilliantly, phenomenally written. Um, the Quran is the worst book I've ever read in my life. Not because of the teachings, just because how, how bad it is. Yeah. And I would agree with the 20th century philosopher, uh, Anthony Flew, who said to read the Quran is to do penance, right? It's, you read the Quran to punish yourself for your sins. And that's why, that's why Allah revealed it. So I agree. All right. We got a final point here. Final point. My final point, right? Where mm -hmm. we're at me. Yep. Okay. Yeah. My final point is, uh, I think it's a, it's a very uh, obvious one. This is, I think, the, the major reason why I'm out here and why I decided to, uh, to speak out against Islam, which is Islam's violent intolerance. Uh, I combine violence and intolerance here. It is very obvious. Whenever you hear about Islam, uh, you hear about the questionable things that Islam offers. Uh, most people's initial impression about Islam is that it is an intolerant religion. People hear about Islam from all around the world because of the, the 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 terrible things that are done in the name of islam people hear about the terrible things that the quran says uh when we look at the history of islam we see that islam had a a non-stop uh military expansion policy that it continued for 1300 1400 years until it was defeated and stopped when you look at uh, islamic scholars very uh, renowned islamic scholars you see that they say in their books over the last 1000 years that it is the muslim obligation the islamic obligation to spread islam uh to 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 the entire world and to uh have a military for this most notably i would always suggest uh reading this in 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 ibn khaldun's book uh Mukaddima, who ibn khaldun is a very uh, a very prominent uh forerunner of sociology a muslim historian and he says in his book that uh it is the duty of the muslim community and of the muslim leader who is not only the a secular leader but also the leader of the religion it is their duty to spread Islam uh, either willingly to people or by force if they don't accept Islam if they don't make their people accept Islam if they don't invite their people to Islam then it is the Muslim obligation to declare war and to spread Islam uh, in that way so uh, is Islam has a very uh, violent a very hostile very intolerant history minorities in the Muslim world currently are suffering they are mostly voiceless uh, minority groups Christians uh, in countries like Pakistan or Egypt or Somalia are oppressed don't have much of a voice are in constant danger and have to keep a low profile Jews don't even exist anymore in the Muslim world they all had to had to uh, run Hindus that are in, in some uh, uh, Muslim countries in the proximity of India don't have it very easy so I Islam really uh, is very far ahead in being intolerant and oppressive and uh, this is definitely one major reason why people should be aware of how Islam is different from other religions and this is a reason why we should speak about Islam and this shouldn't be taken as a hostility from my side this should be taken as a criticism of the hostility that Islam has and Muslims should maybe look into this and maybe see the solution in uh, fixing that by dissociating themselves from those fundamentals of their religion yeah, so it, it really does seem that the solution for every problem in Islam is violence, right? Um, you have these unbelievers and so on, you you violently subjugate them. Islam calls for the violent subjugation of the entire world. Uh, you have people want to leave their religion, they have to be 
executed. Um, you have people who commit various sorts of crimes, so you, you chop off hands or chop off heads or whatever the need may be, um, lashes and so on. Uh, your wife gets out of line, you, you beat her into submission. It's just violence always seems to be the solution, violence and uh, oppression. So yeah, that is a, that is a problem. And you, you can see how we didn't coordinate any of this ahead of time, but you can see how the, these issues are all connected, right? So I start, I brought up the Islamic dilemma that the Quran is actually completely incoherent. It, it falls apart upon scrutiny because it affirms scriptures that ultimately contradict Islam. And so if, if you actually are honest about that, the religion falls apart. Uh, AP pointed out um, in his first point, the, the amazing ignorance that the author of the Quran and Muhammad have of, of all kinds of issues. It doesn't seem like this is actually coming from God. There's, it's, it's filled with massive amounts of ignorance. And then uh, I brought up that the Quran actually looks like a, a big, uh, it looks like if you took everything around Muhammad at his time, you took some stuff from the Jews, you took some stuff from the Christians, you take a bunch of stuff from the pagans and you roll it up into a ball, you get Islam. Right, so it doesn't look like something that's coming down from God. And this was the criticism during the time of Muhammad. They kept saying, "We we've heard all of this before. We know where you're getting this. These are tales of the these are tales of the ancients." So we have all of these problems, which are very easy to spot. And how does Islam deal with these? Because obviously, people are going to be able to see that Islam is false. So what is this? What is Islam's response? Well. <laughs> AP points out that Islam just gives you, fills up your entire day with all these little things you have to do. And so notice if, you're, if your entire day is filled up with all these little things that you have to constantly do, this doesn't leave you a lot of time for, for reflection and so on. You, exactly. you, you don't know what you're supposed to do unless God tells you. So one, you're not supposed to be trying to figure these things out. You're just supposed to mindlessly accept what you're told and fill your life up with all these little tasks to keep you from reflecting on all of the problems in Islam. Uh, the arguments that are massively deceptive, the perfect preservation of the Quran, one of the stupidest arguments ever. All the other arguments, they're ridiculous. They fall apart upon scrutiny. Muslim apologists use them because they're they're relying on people's ignorance. They keep people, they keep people, uh, they, they know that most people are not gonna look these things up. And so most people are gonna just mindlessly believe what they're told. And so they rely on that to, to stir up to stir up a mob and then anyone who does look into these things up oh, you're a bigot you're a hate monger you're a racist and so on and finally uh when the deception doesn't work when filling up your life with all these things doesn't work you just crush and oppress everyone with violence and that's how you keep people from looking into this yeah so yeah. that's uh that's uh that's how all these things are connected but hey ap looks like we got we got through all six points here yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I want to add a final note to this. I mean, um, if you want to talk about how uh, intolerant and weird Islam is about other people's uh, religions and other religious groups, uh, you have to just think about uh, the fact that according to authentic hadith, according to authentic reports of uh, about Muhammad, uh, even in his deathbed, before, like right before he was dying, Muhammad was concerned with the thought of expelling the Jews and Christians from Arabia, from the Arabian Peninsula, which he considered the land, the 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 soil of, uh, of Allah, where Jews and Christians are not supposed to live. And uh, 
before he, according to this hadith, uh, which I quickly want to bring onto the, the screen here, uh, before he gave his last breath, he also, look, as the messenger of Allah was about to breathe his last, he drew his sheet upon his face, and when he felt uneasy, he uncovered his face and said in that very state, let there be curse upon the Jews and the Christians. They have taken the graves of their apostles as places of worship. He, in fact, warned his men against what they did. So even, even in his deathbed, like before he's before he dies he's about to die he's taking his last breaths he has a very hard time staying alive and what he does is to say curse the christians and the jews and what he says before that is i will expel the jews and christians from these lands if i stay alive he didn't stay alive he died but what happened afterwards is that uh the caliph omar who uh, who was muhammad's close advisor did that for him and he did indeed expel the jews remaining in the lands from arabia as muhammad wished it to do and this is the, what islam is the uh the final irony there is he's calling down the curse of allah for turning um <laughs> turning people's <laughs> graves into places of worship and so they're cursed because of that and yet the the, the great mosque in medina is built on muhammad's yeah. grave is built on muhammad's grave and yeah. so yeah. so according to muhammad muslims are cursed my goodness yeah. Yeah, wow. very, 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 very interesting. Very sweet. Mm -hmm. All right, fantastic, David. We went, we went through this. Uh, we yeah, are a little bit over an hour, but yeah, uh, let's be back next week and uh, come back with a with with another topic. Let's go through things. Really very nice. What I want to do is I want to quickly go through uh, some super chats here which I don't want to go to waste uh, and respond to those quickly. So Andrea Miller made a super chat and said, Islam is communist. It's, uh, it's an economic control. Uh, it does indeed share certain aspects, certain qualities with a communist economy. What that is true. In fact, when I when I was interested in communism as a as a teenager, I did hear from certain Muslim authorities, Muslim people, uh, you know, um, Islam and Islam is actually uh, very close to communism in terms of uh, some economic practices and policies, and that they were saying that to me because they wanted me to to have more sympathy for Islam and what Islam preaches, which is which is very dumb. But yeah, Islam does indeed have certain aspects. But I would say they are on they are also both very uh, authoritarian, authoritarian, but uh, socially seen they are very different. <laughs> Rallers made a super chat and said, any thoughts on Hamza Yusuf and his views on Islam? Uh, Hamza Yusuf is the, is the one that is, who is uh, Sufi-ish uh, and he has, he outrages the traditionalist Muslims every now and then by giving some unorthodox, untraditional uh, views about Islam, I believe, yeah. <laughs> I recently watched a video of his in which he says that the, that the heart has a miracle because when the heart beats, it actually says Allah, Allah. And I just watched that video. <laughs> I, I was laughing to myself and I, I was cringing so bad. I don't know. <laughs> what do you think, David? Yep. <laughs> I, I didn't see that, but yeah. I can imagine. Not much to say. Courtney <laughs> uh, Beckett made a super sticker uh, which says 100. Thank you so much, Courtney. I appreciate it. Andrea Melo made another super chat and said, all the Islamic countries have a broken economy because of the autocratic state that destroys liberty and trade, totally dependent of uh, only one production. Uh, true, 
I would say that uh, the fact that Muslim countries are uh, so poor and not doing very well also has to do with the fact that uh, a Muslim society simply doesn't function very well because you can't really do very much throughout the day if you are if you have to uh, concern yourself with praying five times a day forcibly and uh, and all these things. If your entire life is controlled by Islam, it just doesn't really work. Uh, <laughs> yeah, what do you say on that, David? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it 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 goes back to what I was saying before that you know, depending on how you view your status in the world, that kind of has a psychological impact on you over time. And if you believe that you're just this helpless, uh, pathetic, ignorant thing who can't figure out how to go to the bathroom without special revelation, <laughs> I, I just don't I don't think you're going to be terribly successful long term building societies upon that. What I find so funny is that when you when you bring this up, some Muslims say, "But it's healthy." Muhammad just told us uh, how to do uh, things the healthy way. And dude, are you are you kidding me? You want Muhammad to tell you this is how you do it to <laughs> to learn the healthy yeah. way? And three three stones. Good. Wipe yourself with three stones, <laughs> not not four or two. It's got to be an odd number. This is a dude who just had who's just weird and obsessive compulsive about certain yeah, things. Yeah, and yeah. then it's no, this has to be this way. It's a miracle. Come on, dude. I mean, he went to a to a guy who was laying on his stomach and said. Hey, don't do that. Allah hates this position. <laughs> That's what Muhammad says, according to a hadith. He goes to a guy who is laying on his on his on his belly, on his stomach, and he, you know, he he goes to him, disturbs him in his uh, resting, and says, "Allah hates this position." And then he goes away, and the guy is just like, "Okay, I, I guess I won't do that anymore." And when you bring this up, the Muslim says, "Well, it's it's not healthy to be in that position." That's why he said that. Well, great, fantastic. Mm. <laughs> what a nice excuse. You have to you have you have Muhammad who needs to tell you, "Allah hates this. Don't do that," so so that you can figure out how to live your life. Seriously, mm. man, it's incredible. Um, here in C Ministries said, make him the next Nabil Qureshi. I feel kind of <laughs> offended for Nabil Qureshi when I when people say that. <laughs> I don't want to be the next Nabil Qureshi. Not uh, because I don't want to be the next somebody. I don't want to be them. I don't want to take their identity. Don't say that. <laughs> I think Nabil Qureshi did. did uh, he was. I watched one of his. Uh, one of one of the speeches that he gave and although i completely fundamentally disagree with his conclusions about religion and about god i thought he was a brilliant speaker when he, yeah, he talks about he, his experience yeah he's the best like natural speaker i've ever uh -huh. met probably um uh -huh. just I, I mean and people people don't know in, unless you're behind the scenes but uh like he was out in california <laughs> he was out in california and uh this had been this had been scheduled like six months ahead of time that he was going to speak and what he, what he was supposed to speak on and so on. But, you know, he just knew he had to everything was set up for him. So he got out there and he's about to walk up on stage. And right before he goes up, the guy says uh, it, he turns to the guy and he goes, wait, I, I don't remember. This was sick. This was set up six months ago. What am I supposed to speak on? And the guy, <laughs> the, and the guy gave him some like specific doctrine of Christianity to speak on. The bill goes, oh, OK. And he walks up on there and. After afterwards, the pastor goes, "That is the best sermon I've ever heard in my life," and it's like <laughs> zero zero preparation. I watched his speech where he talks about how he, uh, why he left Islam and why he converted to Christianity, and I, and I and I just thought, 
don't know. I thought I will never, I will never be able to speak like this guy. He's he's just natural with it. It's it's really, it's really impressive. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> Charlie's gadgets made a super chat and said, "Make Islam answer for the corruption in the Bible. It affects them, not Christians." Yeah, we basically talked about that uh, a little bit. We will go into that a lot. Uh, in the future thank you b16 street burner said the tribe on sentinel on Sen sentinel island has no concept of jesus bible quran muhammad how would god offer them salvation in complete ignorance uh is something that i would bring up in a different way not in this way but david what do you say um yeah you I, I can't speak for all Christians here, but um, it's it's very common among Christians who study these issues to say that God judges you based on the revelation that you've received. I don't mean the the, the false if you're if God judges you as a Muslim or something like that. I mean, everyone has access to revelation. You have special revelation, so that's like scripture, and then you have uh, general revelation, which is the revelation that God has given to. Uh, all people. So basically anyone, even somewhere on an island could know that there's a creator, that uh, there's there are moral standards, that you haven't lived up to those moral standards, that you need forgiveness, uh, that you're not good enough on your own. You could know things like that. And so the idea is if you respond to that in the best way you can, um, then even without having the full revelation of the gospel, so, you know, people like William Lane Craig would say that the blood of Christ is applied to you, right? Because you did respond to the revelation that you're given. So that's one That's one way. Another another uh, response is that you would be given some sort of post-mortem um, opportunity to, to respond to the gospel. So um, you have issues like that. As far as, as, far as Muslims, I, I, su I suppose they might say something similar. I don't know. Yeah, Muslims will probably, Muslims will likely say mm -hmm. that people who have not heard of... Uh, the message of Islam will uh, be held accountable by different standards, by their natural disposition, mm -hmm. which I find very objectionable as an argument, because if you look at societies, if you look at uh, people, untouched tribes, uncontacted tribes, we still have them around. There are still certain uncontacted tribes in the uh, in the Amazons, I believe, on certain islands, uh, people that didn't have any contact, uh, people that know th that 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 uh, organizations or governments want to leave alone, they don't want to disturb them, because those tribes made it clear upon uh, attempts of contact that they don't want your contact, they want to stay that way. And I can't imagine that a cannibalistic tribe, which <laughs> lives in a in a deep forest, uh, can be held accountable by some natural disposition. But long topic, we can discuss about that for eternity. Yeah. Um, Year roar for Christ said in a super chat, David Wood, I'm no longer Trinitarian because I believe Jesus Christ is God the Father. I log out my Skype account. I'm Rory. Um, hey, Rory, uh, you should uh, set something up like a live stream with uh, either Sam Shimon or Anthony Rogers. Uh, Anthony's probably going to be a bit more calm. Uh, because they they deal a lot with these issues in scripture. So you can actually go through any scriptures that made you think like that and uh, have a discussion with them. Tell If you do, tell them ahead of time, say, hey, David said to tell you I'm not uh, a jerk. So don't, you know, don't be, <laughs> don't be mean towards me. Right. Because a lot of guys call them up and, um, 
you know, have attitudes and stuff like that and they jump all over them and so on. So you want to be clear that you're, you know, you're an honest seeker and you're, you're, you're trying to sort these things out. And so just make sure they don't, uh, they don't, they don't bully you. I will give you one, one quick, I'll give you one quick passage, something to think about. So John chapter eight, John chapter eight, just watch what Jesus says here. Uh, it says again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. So this is Jesus appealing to the law, testimony of two witnesses, and he appeals as the two witnesses, himself and the Father, and he says they're two witnesses. So if your position is that he is, he is the Father, Something, something to think about that. But, but, but again, uh, I would, I would contact uh, Anthony or Sam and, and set up a live stream. Um, yeah, but make sure they're nice. What is it? What is it? What, what is it called? Is that uh, oneness, belief, or something? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't. I, I, I lost my super chats here. My screen shows no super chats. Uh, I have no idea where, where, where to get those now. Uh, give me a second. I will probably find them in a bit. I think I have them, but no, I don't know where exactly I was. Oh, there wasn't. There, there were some earlier superchats apparently that I didn't see by Hindu historian who said my biggest objection to Islam is it's entirely legalistic, obsessed with adherence to rules, reward oriented, and has no underlying teaching to just be a good person. Bhagavad Gita two forty two forty three. Yeah. Um, that's very close to something that I, to one of the points that I that I brought up. Uh, it's also close to something that I uh, made a um, a stream on like a year ago or so, which is basically about the idea that Islam is um, Islam teaches you a uh, a system of morals that is uh, that is all about simply uh, not about being good and not being evil, but uh, be good so that you can get a reward, so that you can get plus points, and uh, don't be bad, or otherwise Allah will burn the crap out of you in hell, where you will be punished like crazy. So it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's very distinct in that it has a very strict uh, reward and punishment system, and it trains you like an animal. I mean, I'm, I'm, it, it is, it is rough to say it like that, but it's like you don't really learn to be good for the sake of being good, uh, or because being good is good. You don't learn not to be evil or not to be bad because being evil is evil or anything like that. You learn that you should be good to to earn rewards, and you shouldn't be bad because Allah will, even if you are a Muslim, when you when you are dead, Allah will punish you brutally and torture you for all the little things that you did, even peeing on yourself or drinking alcohol, for example, which is very messed up. I don't know. It's a strange mindset. Yeah. And uh, a related problem is that it's not really about modifying your 
desires or instilling in you self-control or anything like that. It's um, it's just giving you a halal way of doing anything you want to do, right? In other words, if you want to go kill and slaughter people, just make sure you're doing it for Allah. You're killing and slaughtering the right people. If you want to torture someone, right? Muhammad tortured a guy for money, right? Just make sure that you're doing it for the right cause. If you want to bone 30 different women and girls, you can do that the Islamic way. You can have your wives, and then you can have your sex slaves and your captives, and you keep trading out your wives and so on. Um, you want to just absolutely despise people and look down upon every, you know, all these people as inferior to you, as garbage human beings, and yourself as superior. Hey, just look that way at unbelievers. The Quran says, Surah 3, verse 110, that Muslims are the best of peoples ever raised up for mankind, and that unbelievers are, according to Surah 98, verse 6, the worst of creatures. So it's like it, it takes, I mean, you, you want to steal? You want you want to kill and steal? There's an Islamic way to do that. Muhammad and his followers did that regularly. So it's just take any horrible thing you want to do, and Allah gives you, Allah doesn't say, no, don't do that. That's wrong. You need to change your behavior. And if you want to do that, you have to stop. Islam just gives you an Islamic way of doing it. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> Very well put. Uh, let's let's go through these quicker. Uh, we will we will bring this to two hours. I knew uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as always, no. Let, let's let's go through it quickly. Uh, Jihadi Tears said, "I'm angry at Dr. David Wood. You stole my name and didn't give me any money for using it. By the way, I love your video, man. Keep it up." <laughs> Jihadi Tears. Sorry about that. Just don't take me to court. <laughs> VJ said, "Bhagavad Gita is neither a book of religion nor a treatise on philosophy. What it does is to defend certain dogmas of religion on philosophical grounds." Quote by Doc by Dr. Ambedkar, architect of Indian Constitution. Okay, <clears throat> defend certain dogmas of religion. Okay. Nice note. I don't know what to add to that. Daniel asked me to super chat and said, uh, "David, thoughts on post-trib pre-wrath rapture?" Don't have much thoughts on the end times. David doesn't have much. Thought. Jesus, Jesus wins. That's about how much uh, how, how deep I get into the uh, end times debate. Yeah, we can uh, argue about that too. Or I will. Jesus course. wins, and people like the apostate will be crushed. Yeah, yeah, you will be. You will be crushed if we just if you just dare to debate me on this. If I'll be standing there watching, going, "You're finished. You're finished, AP. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be humiliated, boy." Uh, Theodore Papadopoulos said, AP crushed David Wood's opening statement, just saying, what are you talking about? I will not re read the rest of this super chat. No, uh, still, uh, oh, 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 okay, I read it the wrong way. Wait, AP crushed David Wood's, yeah. okay, I'm completely confused. I will you're read so, the super chat. You're so, I will read again. you're so used to hearing people attack you, you can't even realize when someone's... <laughs> Be because before that I actually read something that said the opposite and now I, I thought I was reading that but but no okay no I will read this twice again AP crushed like Theodore Papadopoulos said AP crushed David Wood's opening statement just saying still you both are awesome David Wood just needs to step up his game laughter 100 underlined twice so yeah I completely agree with that it's uh, cool that it's cool that he put the laughter and the 100 to show that he's 100% joking in the rest of his comment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, everybody knows I'm your teacher, David. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, thank you. Uh, Kotk05 said in his super chat, was there a massacre that Moch's, Moch and his army were a part of, and should there be a day of remembrance for their victims? Uh, there were several. 
uh, w one of the most notorious ones is the the Banu Quraiza uh, massacre, where they were a Jewish tribe in Medina called the Banu Quraiza were accused of being of uh, collaborating with the attacking polytheists and betraying uh, the Muslims. Uh, where the Muslims were at, at, a, at a battle with the polytheist uh, Meccans. And after the battle was over, Muhammad reportedly said, uh, reportedly the angel Gabriel came to Muhammad and said, wait, don't put your weapons down, it's not over. Go to the Banu Quraiza trap. And then he went there and uh, basically uh, ruled with their help that uh, the entire tribe will be exterminated, uh, all, their, all the adults or all those who have uh, who have reached puberty will be killed and uh, all the children will be taken and all the women will also be enslaved right mm -hmm. enslaved yeah the the men who are who have reached puberty will be all massacred all the others will be taken as slaves if i'm not wrong about the last part uh and we have several other tribes you have to really wonder why it happened that Muhammad got rid of all the Jewish, all the main Jewish tribes on different pretenses. He expelled one, exterminated the other, went to uh, exterminate the other. They convinced him uh, to make a deal uh, with them and to keep them there. And he said to them, you will, you can stay here uh, as long as you give us uh, one half of what you are uh, of what you produce on your fields, but you will have to leave whenever we say it. And then after Muhammad dies, Umar uh, tells them to leave the land and they have to forcibly leave. So um, yeah, Jews didn't really have it very, very well at the hands of Muhammad, but yeah, there are just mm -hmm. many examples of Muhammad's massacres. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to add, David? Yeah, yeah, I would probably go with, uh, like if people were looking, like if they wanted to set up a remembrance, I would probably go with Kareza uh, or uh, or Kaibar. Yeah, yeah. I would say don't. Uh, I, I don't. See, I don't see the need for remembrance. I just see the need for forgetting Muhammad forever from human history and the human memory. Um, Ab Abdullah Samir made a super chat. Abdullah Samir is here. What is Abdullah Samir doing here? Abdullah trying Samir. to make trying to make trouble. Yeah, trying to make trouble. Abdullah Samir is another former Muslim and critic of Islam who has a nice channel. I think he's mostly active on a, on another channel right now, which is called Friendly Ex-Muslim or something like that. Um, he said in a super chat, stop quoting that Islamophobe Ibn Khaldun. <laughs> yeah, uh, as, as I explained earlier, Ibn Khaldun is, a, is an early... Uh, Muslim historian who explicitly says in his book that it is the Muslim duty to wage war on the world and to spread Islam uh, in a peaceful way or by force. So this is him saying that, and this is like at the core of Islamic history. And yeah, of course, that can only be an Islamophobe if he says something like that about Islam. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Friendly ex-Muslim? There's no, there's no such thing. Yeah. If you're so friendly towards Islam, why aren't you more accepting of Islam's death penalty for apostates? Come on, dude. Yeah, why do you have a problem with that? Muhammad yeah. says you should be killed if you leave your religion. Why do you have a problem with that? If you call yourself friendly, accept that. Be tolerant of it. Yeah, why are you racist against the death penalty for apostates? Yeah, don't be racist. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Roar for Christ made another super chat and said, Trinitarian is want me to come back on Discord. I said I never will. 
there's a conversation going on, I guess, and that's mm -hmm. part of that. I don't know. Uh, you can, you guys can sort that out. Mutual Panchal made a super chat and said, "Why in the world Islamists and Marxists are in uh, collaboration?" Uh, I wouldn't say they are necessarily always in collaboration. You just see very often that they uh, seem to support each other in different fields and on different grounds, and uh, that's just a huge delusion. It's just a temporary support where. Uh, where 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 where, where proponent, proponents of Islam um, feel like they have to change the West in order to uh, accommodate Islam in the West, and where hardcore leftists uh, have an agenda of crushing dominant ideas in the West and replacing them with their own dominant idea, and one of those ideas happens to be the uh, happens to be appealing to minorities. And since they are in the West, they consider Muslims or Islamists as minorities and want to show a sense of solidarity. Funnily enough, if you go into the Muslim world, you will see that uh, communists are usually the ones who are uh, who are very much against Islam the most they are at the forefront of uh being against islam in that world but here they have this stupid idea muslims are minorities you know when they, they need our help they need our support we need to show support and they have no idea what they're really doing and there's and there's this there's basically a common trend that when a bunch of smaller groups have a common enemy they, they tend to unite and figure they'll they'll sort things out later yeah. which will not happen that's a delusion that's a big delusion. That's stupid. Okay, uh, I want to. I, I say I want to go through the super chats, but they, they but more and more keep coming. Uh, yeah, you'll never finish. Yeah. Okay. I'll just read a few quickly, and then uh, and then we and then we will uh, leave at in a few minutes. Okay. So steady and fast and easy. Said I just joined. Are you fellows paying attention to, to pay attention to the work of Dr. J lately? It seems that Islam was hijacked from Petra and moved to the Meccas. We can discuss about that together on a different live stream. I. Uh, I, in all honesty, don't think that the theory of uh, Petra is uh, very credible. I think that it is a little bit far-fetched, no disrespect. I think the research is nice, but there are just too many inconsistencies. I personally don't believe that uh, Islam actually comes from Petra or that Muhammad actually was in Petra and not in Mecca. What do you think, David? Um, Quick, two Yeah, I, I don't. I don't buy it either, but the, the, the reason the reason you can't just dismiss it is there's so little evidence to go on, and there are some problems with the classical view um, that you can, you can make the argument. And so it's kind of it's kind of there's not a ton of stuff to go on. Um, and so whenever there's not a ton of stuff to go on, you can make you can make all kinds of arguments. and so that's that's yeah. one of that's one of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just what David said. Uh, Andrea, Andrea Mello made another super chat and said, "May you send my past super chat of this life? May you send my past super chat of this life? What? Uh, read my past super chat, please. I believe we have. I believe we have. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think this came after before I started reading the super chats. Whatever. Uh, Nicholas Paulson made a super chat and said, "Hey AP, you will never be able to finish a live stream with David within an hour, and I'm totally okay with that. God bless you both. Thank you so much. I know I agree. David just." Uh, talks too much and this is just uh, the core of our problems that we have here. I don't know what to do with this. Uh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> no, I'm really happy to have David here, which I only say because 
is here right now. Andrea Melo made a super chat and said, as long as a communist state that, that controls the economy. Yeah, I wouldn't really conflate the, uh, you were the same person who made all those communist uh, super chats, didn't you? So aren't you? I, I wouldn't really conflate communism and Islam there very much. It's just uh, they might have certain things in common uh, from especially from a western point of view and in that they are a little bit authoritarian in, in, in a way but they have huge differences and are ultimately against each other which they will realize once they stand yeah you, you don't want to get into the habit of saying these two things are bad in a similar way therefore they're the same uh, yeah. um i mean you could point to almost any two things and say they're uh, you know especially violent oppressive systems you could say they have similarities and so on but you don't want to say they're therefore uh the same yeah 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 i agree it's like it's like uh it's like a, a couple weeks ago there was trending um socialism in five words and i clicked on i clicked on it to see what people were saying about socialism it was almost all positive and that but people were saying things like um socialism is what builds your roads socialism is what and, and it was it became clear that people think that anytime a government does anything, it's socialism. That's not socialism. <laughs> that's that's not socialism. Governments were doing things long before socialism ever came along. But uh, I guess the idea is in socialism, the government does a lot. And hey, here's the government doing something. And so they're the same thing. Um, no, not, not that simple. The thing is, is that, the, that the term socialism has uh, become so... Uh, complicated in the last over the last decades that uh people stopped to distinguish between actual socialism and uh, democratic socialism or certain aspects of socialism or simply a social state which is not which doesn't have socialist policies but simply policies that appeal to uh to you know tax to uh, doing things together through taxation and all that it's, it's like uh, proponents of socialism start to conflate uh, democratic socialism and socialist policies or social policies with socialism and it's just getting a whole it's just it's just really getting messy it's very strange to watch that mm -hmm. happen but um the countries in europe that have certain social policies are not remotely in any way close to what we historically know as socialism they are very far apart from that socialism wouldn't make any of that possible um lovesick831 said god bless god bless both of you and ap you will one day be a brother in christ praying for your family too david glad god met your recent family need uh very much appreciated thank you i doubt that one part about me but i appreciate your thoughts uh and yeah i bet i bet david appreciates his your thoughts as well i just like speaking for david uh we will find out. I think when we are done with our morality debate, we should have another debate with David. He's, I mean, he knows I will crush him, which is why he's a bit slow in making these arrangements. But mm -hmm. yeah, we will mm -hmm. see in the future. Mm -hmm. uh, Andrea Mello made a super chat, another one, and said, normally Islamic State destroys economy totally. They are equal in, in economy and different in morality, but the two murder a lot of people. Yeah, and we can talk about that forever. Socialism, Islam, different things, certain things in common. 
Uh, stop scamming man made a super chat. Finally, this is the last one that I'm reading, and then, I'm, then we're leaving. Uh, as you can see on a video on ex Muslims of North America's Twitter account, the massive Dawah CEO Shrilly condoned the murder of Rashad Khalifa on US soil. Any thoughts? We talked about this in our last live stream, didn't we? Yeah, I still didn't look it up. I think he was talking about uh, Bilal saying Bilal Phillips did it. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah, okay. I, yeah. If you I'm going to check on that later. If you see it before I do, uh, let's find that because um, that's something we should be making videos about, right? I mean, you got you got basically res respected Muslim apologists and scholars and Dawagandists and saying, "Yep, that guy, that guy had to die." That is that's kind of important to know. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's important to point out. Like these aren't you know fringe weirdos in mm -hmm. Islam. It's very, very popular people calling for saying that people deserve to die for being her heretical or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what, what, what Bilal Phillips is doing recently. I haven't heard much of him. I think he's kind of, he's kind of in the background recently, but uh, he is very popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've used the clips of, he's the one who talked about the, uh, the avalanche of apostasy. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. A tsunami that will hit us and we will not be able to stand. <laughs> That's good news. Uh, no, Muhammad Abu Allah, Rashad Khalifa is not related to Mia Khalifa. Uh, <laughs> Rashad Khalifa is a, a reformist, uh, <laughs> is a reformist Muslim, uh, was a reformist Muslim preacher who, uh, who was in, in, in America. I think he was in Tucson. And uh, he had his, his own Islamic center there where he preached uh, a reformist approach to, uh, of Islam, where he would introduce people to these numerical miracles and the number 19 and stuff like that. And uh, he, he was trying to prove Islam true based on numerical miracles. The reason why traditionalist Muslims uh, hate him so much or hated him so much was that he uh, rejected much of Islamic uh, uh, laws and history and basically accused uh, Muslims throughout history of corrupting Islam and turning it into something backward and uh, ridiculous. And he was assassinated for his uh, views by certain uh, by certain Islamists, by, ter by terrorists. Uh, right now in his place, there, he had a student called Edip Yüksel. He's uh, in his place in, in Tucson now and he is doing what Rashad Khalifa used to do. Uh, yeah, and if, if Bilal Phillips, who is a very who is a very very prominent uh, Muslim apologist, proponent of Islam, Islamic scholar, really went out and uh, approved of the killing of Rashid Khalifa, that would mean he did actually endorse or approve of the killing of a certain uh, person on U.S. soil simply for their beliefs, which is not something that we should downplay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is all. We have, uh, okay, that's it, David. Anything else you want right. to say? Yeah, stay away from Islam. Okay, um, I will say it again. There are some more Super Chats. I will keep those uh, for next time. Maybe we can respond to those. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining. And as David Wood said, uh, thanks, everybody, for the questions. Thanks, everybody. We will see you next week. I will, I will uh, schedule it ahead much earlier that time. Uh, have a fantastic night and... TikTok time to rock. That doesn't work, right? No. It doesn't work at all. It doesn't work at all. It's stupid. You ruined it. You ruined the whole stream. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. Stay away from this one, everybody.